great to see you all here this morning. I am not speaking today, but I'm going to introduce our special guest who is going to speak in a moment. You're in for a real treat. Uh, we have with us this morning our district superintendent, Wes Smith, and he's going to share the Word of God with you. Uh, Wes and I go way back uh, in ministry. We both uh, our second career guys, so we left businesses and that kind of thing, and felt God's call into ministry. And I remember multiple times, uh, especially early on in the process, Wes and I would get together and kind of commiserate and talk about what God was doing, and and were we crazy in doing this or not, or, or that kind of thing. And so I was, uh, I can come to you this hour more informed than first hour, because I got to listen to him speak first hour, and it was good stuff. And God's going to speak to your heart this morning. I'm convinced of that. And um, I'm, I'm just thrilled that Wes is our district superintendent. I was 100% for uh, that uh, calling on his life. And he's been a challenge to me and to the other pastors of our, our, of our uh, district, the Northwest District. And I love how he loves people. And he wants us as churches to reach other communities. I, I love that kind of thing. And I love being part of what God is doing here in the Northwest District. And so this morning, as, as Wes comes and brings us the word, I want to encourage you to open your heart to him, hear what he has to say, and let the Holy Spirit do a work in you. Would you welcome Wes with me, please? Uh, it's really, really great to be here. Fantastic morning, by the way. This was just uh, very meaningful worship. You, you have a tremendous pastoral team, right from your lead pastor on down. I, you have one of our best, and, and uh, I, I just I want to celebrate the way they lead and uh, who you are as a community. Just fantastic morning. So thanks for uh, letting me be part of your morning. I want to come to you when I'm done with the teaching and just talk to you about one thing I have to say to you as a district leader to your church as a whole. But before I do that, I, I'd like the privilege, and, and it's going to be up to you, but I'd like the privilege to teach from God's Word and to just have you hear a story that Mark tells in the Gospel of Mark that I know many of you have heard like before many, many times. If you've been to church probably more than about 10 times, you've heard this story. And, and, and it's a fantastic story. But, but I, want, I want to maybe unpack it in a more de little deeper way than, than maybe you have heard it before. And, and when I do that, it might be a little offensive when we're done. Uh, but, but we'll try to remain friends in the meantime can you just give me your attention to go through a story you may have heard before in Mark chapter 2? I'd ask for that because it is changing and wrecking my life. And I think it might do the same for you. So we're just we're going to read it together back and forth a little bit and just dig deep, deeper and deeper into it. The words, I think, will be on the screen as we go through. You can look in your Bibles. I know uh, if you grab one of those pew Bibles in front of you, it's on page 991. You can use a device like I will, whatever works for you. Uh, let's, let's just read it together. And, and, and again, maybe in ways that will be challenging, but let's see what happens. Mark chapter 2 begins this way. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that He had come home. So as you're finding it, we'll just start with that first uh, verse. Jesus was coming home to a place called Capernaum. Now, let's just 
talk about this for just a minute. Jesus' adult life, and actually most of his ministry, was, was, was done around a, what was called a Sea of Galilee. Uh, in our world, in our country where we live, in this region, we call it a big lake. Okay, The Sea of Galilee it was this big lake, and around that would be fishing villages, and as you might expect, almost everybody in the village lived off of fishing, right? So, so you'd go fish during the day, you'd come back, you'd sell the fish, traders would come through, and this is, this is how you'd operate. And this region was kind of known as the sort of backwards region of Israel, the nation, like, like kind of the redneck kind of place. They hadn't invented that word yet, but that's kind of what this region was. It's kind of where Jesus did most of his ministry. Matter of fact, this area of Capernaum was, was known as his home, his home community. Now we're in Mark chapter 2, so early on in the story of Jesus' ministry. But some pretty cool things have started happening. Like the sky opened up and God said, this is my son. And healings. He's been, he's been healing people and, and word spreading. He's apparently just a phenomenal teacher. Just great. And so he started to become famous, not only in this region, but around this small nation. So apparently, having been on the road for a while, he sends word that he's coming home. So this is like pre-Twitter, right? So I don't know how he did that. He's a carrier pigeon. Somehow, he sends word back to Capernaum that he's coming home. Now, I've been to Capernaum. There's no large meeting spaces, right? There's no big gymnasiums or there, any of that kind of stuff. So he would have been in somebody's living room, somebody whose living room was of significant enough size to hold most of the town. So somebody invites the town in. This is like the social can't-miss event of the year in Capernaum, right? Jesus, the only person famous ever from Capernaum, is back. We booked him in our living room Thursday night, 7 o'clock, be on time, right? And this is kind of what happened. So as, as you read this story, it says, verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So apparently the place was packed out, right? Like everybody who was anybody in Capernaum made it to the living room. Like the mayor was there, you'd be the mayor today. Like the fire chief was there, like like. Everybody who was in, like, we know later there was some uh, religious elite. I don't want to point anybody specifically because we're going to pick on them in a minute. But there were some religious bureaucrat people like me, right? Religious, whatever, uh, that were there. There, as is the case, there's probably some riffraff that snuck in the back. Anybody want to volunteer to be riffraff this morning? Maybe. Yes, yeah, several of you. The, the balcony, a number of people volunteered to be there. That's great. Uh, so, so we had everybody, everybody from Capernaum is there. It's packed. Okay. Then it says, some men came bringing to him, bringing to Jesus, a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Ah, let me stop you there so, so you don't get ahead in this story and, and, and misunderstand. So four guys carrying a guy who's paralyzed, okay? Now, one thing you'd need to know about Jesus' day is that it was taught and believed that if you were paralyzed or diseased, like had leprosy or had any other kind of problem, it's because God had it in for you. It's because you had sinned 
And God was punishing you, and you would live this way your whole life, and then you would die far from God. God had rejected you. So this, this, this guy on the mat, we don't know what his name was, maybe we'll call him Joe today. This guy on the mat, uh, he believed he would have been taught his whole life, God's not for you. You're a sinner far from God. But it says four guys bring him. And when you spend your life on a mat, right, when they pick you up, they pick you up, right? You got no choice. He probably didn't even want to come to Jesus, but he's coming. So, but, but back up just a little bit. So in Jesus' day, there would be no homes or centers of care for somebody disabled in this way. What would happen would be four guys like this, every morning would go to Joe's house, do all the things you need to do to take care of somebody who lives on a mat, pick him up, take him to the street where he'd beg during the day, go fish, come in, sell their fish, go pick up Joe, take him to his home, or maybe he lived with one of them, take him to their home. This is what they did, and apparently, when they hear Jesus is coming back home, their first thought is, hey, we, we got we to gotta get Joe to Jesus. This is great. We got to make sure we get Joe to Jesus. So their action is they go pick Joe up and bring him. Like, we don't know if he wanted to be there or not, because he knows God's not for me. But they're bringing him. So they get to the front door. What's this? It says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. Let's just stop there. Uh, we know later in the story, there was actually room for them in the room. Like they could have made room. Because there's going to be a big opening and they're going to be in, but not now. You ever, you ever, uh, you ever gone somewhere where maybe you weren't quite cool enough for school, you weren't quite whatever it was that needed, you weren't quite accepted? Like people get all wide on you, like, oh, it's kind of crowded in here. Some of the riffraff know what I'm talking about, right? And uh, you're not quite dressed, or you're not quite whatever, you're not. And this is what happens. Like they get to the front door, and there's standing room only pretty much, and people look, are are you serious? Like, like you brought a sinner? We've got Jesus in the living room. We booked Jesus, like he's in there. You brought a sinner? You brought Joe? <laughs> you come back and, you know, we'll, we'll give some food or something, but not, not now. We got Jesus. Like, this is why nobody famous ever comes back to Capernaum's, because you bring Joe, right? It's what they were saying, not what I'm saying, okay? Stay with me in the story, right? <laughs> right? That this is the deal. So now watch what happens next. It says... They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. It was just as rude in Jesus' day as it would be in our day to tear your neighbor's roof off. (laughs) This has never been cool to do this. But this is what they do. This is unreal. This really happened. This is unbelievable. I, I wonder, because I just wonder about stuff a lot, how they came to that decision. I assume God has DVR, and so when I get to heaven, I'm going to replay this conversation with the four guys, right? 
But I, I just, here's how I think it happened. It's totally me that this isn't in the text. Here's how I think it happened, because this is how it happens in my life, right? I think they pull back from the front door, and uh, they're, they're, I'm sure of the four, there's at least one who's like a management type. Like, there's always those types, right? The management type, like, hey, we need a brainstorming session. No idea is a bad idea. Let's get the whiteboard out. Let's put all the ideas up, right? I'm sure there was something like that that got the conversation started, right? And I think they went around the group. And they all share ideas. Well, we could do this. We could do that. Like, nothing. Nah, that's probably not going to work. That's not going to work. It's pretty crowded. And then I think there was that one guy. Are, is your circle of friends kind of like mine? Like, you have one friend who has no wisdom at all, right? They're, they're really fun. They're really fun, and you want them part of the crew. Like, they keep it really fun, but you never take their advice on anything, right? They, God just didn't give them a lot of wisdom, but they're a blast. I, I think it was that guy, right, maybe? I think it was that guy, like the first guy to get a tattoo in Capernaum, right? I think it was that guy who says, you know what? <laughs> we could dig right through their roof. Yeah. And I think they, like the management type, rejected it immediately. Turns out there are bad ideas, he says, and whatever. But there apparently was no better ideas. And, and, you, and you may know this, but in Jesus' day, you could literally dig through your neighbor's roof with your hands. So here's the, they, they would build stone walls, but then they would build a, a roof that came down maybe four feet or so from the ground. And mostly the roofs were made out of like dirt and grass and some lightweight stick material. So you literally could, if you chose, climb up on your neighbor's roof and dig a hole right through it. And this is the choice they make. They go up and they start digging. Imagine you're the homeowner. This is real people. This really happened. Like, like this is a big night for you if you're the homeowner, right? Like you book Jesus in your living room. Big night. Like the hors d'oeuvres, I bet, were spectacular. It's just going great. And then all of a sudden, like the roof starts to sort of cave in. So you send the kids out like, hey, get people off the roof. They come back. Hey, it's the four guys and Joe, you know, what? You know, what? State Farm, does they cover this? I don't know, you know. <laughs> right? Like, what is going on? This is bad. You think about it. It says this. It says, uh, they made an opening above the, uh, in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. You think about the size of hole it would take to get a man on a mat through it. This isn't a little hole, right? They're just taking the roof apart. They're on the trusses. I mean, this is whatever. You know, I don't have to trust, but you know what I mean? There's a big pile of dirt in the living room. Right in the middle where Jesus was probably teaching. Like, he probably had to move and shut the teaching down, right? And boom, the big hole. And here comes. And then, oh, somebody brought Joe. We know that, Matt. We see it every day. We've been seeing it for a couple decades. And sure enough, he gets lowered. And the room waits for this teacher, this rabbi, this one they're thinking might be the Messiah. They wait for him to chastise this group. And to remind Joe that he's a sinner and he's condemned. 
And when he hits the dirt pile, everybody looks to Jesus to hear that chastisement. But what happens next? Like, like if you're here today, and you, you don't yet really have a deep relationship with Christ, and you wonder why some of us love Him so much, like freely give our life sacrificially to follow Him, like this is one of the reasons what happens next. Like, like listen to this. It says, verse 5, When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. The first thing Jesus says, He says a word that the NIV translates it here, son, others, child. It's, it's a word that is like, here's how I would define it, most intimate member of my family. That's the first word He says to Joe. And then He says, you know, you know the things you stay up late at night regretting? Those sins that, that you wonder, was it, was it that one that put me on the mat? Like, is that the one that God just finally decided, I'm done with you? Jesus says, you know those things you worry about and think about? I want to tell you, forgiven. We don't remember them against you at all. You're a child. By the way, I'll just stop. If, if, if in this story you identify mostly with the man on the mat, hear Jesus. There's a lot of us in this room who know that's who we were and that's why we love Him so much. He's unbelievable. And this, this moment could have been, would have been, one of the great moments in all of Scripture. Except there were church people there, and church people run everything, right? So, let's just keep reading. I say that a bit in jest. Stay with me. Verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. So there were folks somewhere in the room, sitting there watching all this. And they, they were people who taught what, in, what, what we now know as the Old Testament. That was the, as much scripture as they had at this point, and they were teachers of that. So they were religious teachers, if you will. And, 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 and they had been observing all of this. They had been the ones that taught Joe. He was condemned and would live far from God, right? It says they were there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow, Jesus they're talking, thinking about, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone. And Jesus is going to respond to their thoughts. One of the things when you follow Jesus you'll learn is that He even has access to your thoughts, which can be somewhat frustrating at times, right? But He does. It says, verse 8, Immediately Jesus knew in His Spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and He said to them, He's about to ask them two questions. <laughs> It really one question rolled into a, a, a bigger one. And it's not like, uh, uh, remember when your mom would say, do you want to go to timeout? That wasn't a question she was seeking information about, right? 
Like it, it, it wasn't, a response wasn't required. It was a question to get you to think, right? So, so what, what, here, here we go with those kinds of questions. Jesus says, why are you thinking these things? No response. Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. Huh. So Jesus just lays it out there. Like, okay, I got you. I see what you're thinking. I could just say, your sins are forgiven. And we can't prove that. There's no physical change that we would immediately see. So I can't prove that I have the power to do that. That this person you've been condemning is not condemned and is forgiven. I see that. But, but, what if I say, get up? Oh, now we would know, right? Because you know Joe. You've seen him every day for however long. You know. He can't walk. This is the truth. So if he starts to walk... Then we've got to talk about the fact that God loves him and his sins are forgiven and I'm the Messiah come to provide that grace. That'd be different, right? So he asks that question and again, they do not answer, right? And now, watch what happens next. He got up. Veins and tendons that had been atrophied and without any energy become energized. Muscles that have been maybe not used for a lifetime gain strength. And right before their eyes, they watch somebody they've seen on the streets and handed a few coins to from time to time stand up. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in the full view of them all. wonder what that walk was like, right? Did he dance? I maybe would have. You know, that would have been something, right? This amazed everyone. I bet. I bet it did, right? Like, I bet there's four guys that made their way to meet Joe in the front yard pretty fast. I bet they ran off the... Actually, I bet the out-of-the-box guy ran right through the roof and ran out the door, and the other three ran off the roof, right? They meet him in the front yard. I bet there's a party in that front yard like we read about in Luke 15. You remember Luke 15? Where the one that's lost is found, the one who's gone comes. There's one who's been rescued, and I bet they celebrate in that front yard. Maybe every year after that, on that date, they get together, throw a party for Joe. It says, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. <laughs> I bet not. I bet not. So let me dig just a little deeper, though. This is a tremendous story, and for the first many years of my life and my learning about the Scripture, 
I identified with the man on the mat, and this would be a, a story of thanksgiving for me, to say, wow, thank you. And it still is that, but it's more now. I, I want you to notice two things about this text. The first I want you to notice is Mark, when he tells this story, he does not tell us anything about what Jesus actually taught that night. What he tells us is a story of four guys who loved somebody and cared for somebody so sacrificially and consistently that they were willing to tear a hole through a neighbor's roof to bring him to Jesus. Let me ask you, where would you have been in the story? Some of you say, well, I identify with Joe. Okay. But I think many of us here would say we would have probably been in the room. Hey, Jesus is coming. Like, hey, that sounds great. I hear great things about him. He's a tremendous teacher. I like to hear good teaching. I like to grow in my faith, right? I like to do that. Like, hey, okay, uh, let's, let's go out tonight. Let's go hear Jesus. That's probably better than NCIS. We've been doing that all week. Let's, let's hear Jesus, right? Like, like, I could see making that decision. Like, this is a good thing to do. We'll probably grow. Let's go here. And Mark is making very clear that the kingdom of God is four guys who said, oh, finally, Jesus is coming to Capernaum. We've been caring for Joe like for years, and we have, we have credibility with him. We've been loving him. Let's, let's go get Joe. Let's get him to Jesus. This is our chance. We've been praying and hoping for this. This is us. Tear a hole in the neighbor's roof? Sure, we'll do whatever. We're all about Joe. Let me ask now a question, and this is where it might get a little offensive. My guess is that maybe when I'm done with the next two or three minutes, you will be offended by me. But I'll be at a different church next Sunday. It'll be okay. Is your life marked, characterized by consistently and sacrificially and creatively serving somebody who's on a mat? There's a lot of ways to be on a mat, right? Like there's, there's depression and there's addiction, and there's divorce and there's loneliness and we could just, the list could go on and on. There's sickness, there's disease, on and on. Is... is is who you are, if I were to talk to your friends, would they say, you know, yeah, she, she gives like every week, like she gives time and resources and talents to serve this, this group of people or this person who's just on a mat and sometimes not even grateful for the service and they just keep giving and just give their lives to this person. Is this you? If not, I would suggest to you that you're missing it. You're missing it. You may do a lot of really good stuff, and you may do a lot of really good religious stuff, and you may have some practices in your life, like attending a worship service and other things that are really good things and that help you become more like Christ. But if this does not yet characterize you, you haven't really gotten in step with Jesus Christ whom we follow. This, this hasn't, you haven't become that yet. And I'm sorry, but i got to challenge you this week to really wrestle with that. 
Because this is who we are as Christ followers. Now, I know this group well enough to know that there are some of you who said when I asked that question, absolutely, yes, that's me. I got to tell you, never forget that God's watching. And I think you're going to be really shocked someday when you meet Jesus Christ face to face to hear how grateful He is, to hear words like, when you serve them, you serve the least of these, and you serve me. I was that person. Thank you so much. I've been preparing your reward, and it's spectacular. I'm so grateful. Because I guarantee you He's watching. And I guarantee, when, you, when you leave that home or that center or that wherever, that school, and nobody's standing outside applauding, maybe even, as I said, the person you serve, maybe even that person this wasn't super grateful today. Heaven's watching. I promise you that. I've staked my life on this. So where would you have been in the room? You'll notice there in verse 5. Take a look at this. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the man, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus sees four uncouth, etiquette-challenged, dust-covered faces, He takes action. He partners with people who give their lives to people on mats. That's when Jesus gets really engaged with you. Father, I want to talk to you now for a minute. I, I hope you know that the point of us gathering today was for you. It was to worship you. We hope, Father, that we... That we bring to you joy. And we hope that as we've learned together from your word that, that you've been speaking to us. I, I want to make this personal. I, I, as I teach this, I'm concerned that while I've reached the point that I would have come to hear Jesus speak, I would have agreed and bowed at the appropriate times. I'm not sure yet that always I can say I'd be one of the four guys tearing a hole through a roof. I've given my life to people on mats. I'm not sure I can yet say with 100% certainty that's who I am all the time. And I just ask that you would challenge me and use me. Challenge us and use us. May we become Christ followers in step with the Master who came for the sick, who came for people on mats. I beg for Your help on this, Jesus. I beg for Open our eyes. Open our eyes to see people around us. Challenge us. Lead us, I pray. Don't let us forget this call to follow You in this way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Think on these things. And then one thing I want to say from our entire district family, churches all across our network in a number of states, 
Two things, actually, I want to say. Preachers are like that, right? They say one, but it's two, whatever. One, we're praying for you a lot. And two, you, have a, you, have a, you as a church have done something really cool. You've taken responsibility for another church that was on a map. It's really cool what you've done to help form a whole new congregation in Watertown. You've taken what God has blessed you, and it's tremendous. This is great what God's doing here. And you've given of your time and your resources and your energy to, to a church that was actually past time on a map. It was, it was in, and, and revitalized and restarted that. And today there's going to be a number of people worshiping together, some brand new folks from Watertown. It's been tremendous. And so as a district network of churches, I want to personally say thank you. Thank you for not just being about what happens here. We are really, really grateful. Your, your pastoral leadership and your lay leadership just been tremendous. So thank you very much, and thank you for your attention today.